handed out. Hello and welcome to episode 151 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. We have an action-packed show for each and every one of you tonight. Joining us, the legend, Vince LaRosa, making a triumphant return here to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast to catch us up on some breaking news in the world of Vince. Joining us as our opponent correspondent this week will be Matt Pollard. You know him from Last Word on Sports and Holding the High Line. As always, my name is Jonathan Reimer, joined this evening by none other than Christopher Sines and Christian Aparicio. Gentlemen, good evening and welcome. What's going on, Black and Gold family? Happy to be back. Another week. LAFC victory. Let's go. Another Monday we get to talk about how we won. So I uh, wasn't able to be at the game, though. I was sick. My voice might crack later, but feeling good about it. I was able to cheer on and text people as I was watching. And, you know, Apple TV looking as, as crisp as ever, as always, it has been. Did you watch the Apple TV for the LAFC 2 match? I did. But I didn't watch it live because a two-year-old took over and he was trying to watch his own stuff on the TV. How was it watching with no broadcasters? It was weird, to be honest with you. I put like some music in my headphones, but you no, know, not too bad. I feel like they have someone they can call on this podcast that could probably do that job. Oh, you took the I... words right out of my mouth, PJ. Hello, Apple TV, MLS. If you are looking for broadcasters familiar with the black and gold that live here locally in the greater Los Angeles area, I, I know a few names. Uh, drop me a line. I might be able to find somebody that could uh, do a broadcast for you. And I guarantee you at a very frugal price. We're not talking about that, you know, soccer OG money here. We're talking about, you know, something a little more down to earth, but would be entertaining and informative for the fans. Just just throwing that out there. Let's get back to the match at hand here, gentlemen. The Los Angeles Football Club defeated Dallas 2-1 to one at BMO Stadium. Let's dive into the game. It took a very short amount of time for LAFC to go ahead and take the lead. All of us and our swimming predictions of three nothings and four nothings looked like we were well on our way. And the third minute, Timothy Tillman had Tillman Tor finds himself a goal in the third minute. I'm loving what we're seeing from Tillman, our scouting team, our front office, sensational work. Fifth fastest goal in LAFC history. You know, that's impressive, right? Timothy Tillman already making himself a man in the history books. For anybody who's looking for that other information, Chicho Arango, 20 seconds into a match. I don't think that is ever going to be broken. After that is Edward Atuesta with uh, minute 25 and Dejan Jakovic at uh, minute 36. And then uh, Danny Musaski at two minutes and 10 seconds. Timothy Tillman was officially recorded at two minutes and 14 seconds. So those are your top five fastest goals in LAFC history. Good knowledge, Chris. I'm sure you had all of that memorized, being the historian that you are. I'm incredibly, incredibly impressed. I am not as good as Scarf. I I did not have those memorized. That is all information that was uh, written down and read from. The crazy thing is that we could have scored earlier. Hollings had had a sitter, and he should have been in the top five. We could have had two in the top five. Well, I guess that would have pushed Tillman out of the top five. Two minutes, not good enough anymore. You're right. Hollingshead, look, it's the first minute of the game, but at that point, it certainly looked like we were going to cruise to victory and hand them a spanking. However, things sort of were stifled in the 35th minute when Sergi Palencia took an absolute shot from Tumasi in the 35th minute that after, you know, a double check on the monitors, they came back and, correctly adjudicated it as a red card. Was there any question in either of your minds that that was a straight red? 
Well, so I wasn't at the match, so I caught it on Apple TV. And I think the broadcasters had hit it right that the initial contact didn't look like it was a red card. But as you watch it over and over and over, it became more and more apparent that it was a red card and that he led with the elbow. And and it may not have been intentional and malicious, but it was the fact that it was still a, a dangerous maneuver. And I think that that is what led to the red card. Agreed. I think he was caught in two minds where he knew he couldn't get to the ball, but he wanted to stifle and kind of get in the way, but he used his elbow to do that. At first, I didn't think it was a red, but in the replays, it definitely was. So I think they got it right. I too was a a little under the weather on Saturday and chose to take this game in from my couch as well too. But I chose to watch the game with the dulcet tones of one Dave Denholm, and he went apoplectic, screaming at the refs for them to come back and show a red card. Double D, we love you. And it's such a pleasure to be able to watch those games with the home broadcast as your audio. So much more entertaining. He paints such a vivid picture, as we well know. There didn't even have to be a game in front of him, and he could call a great game. He's proven that in the past. Clear red, clear red. The game really kind of shut down at that point. We had a lot of opportunities, but once again, the finishing touch was just not there for us. There were a lot, a lot of chances created by the black and gold. So something to be positive about there, but just the failure to finish. Is it getting to you guys at this point? You know what? The finishing, I think that it'll come if you're in the right position and, you know, being able to actually put a solid foot on the back of that ball is not as as easy as it may seem, regardless of the fact that they're professionals and I'm not concerned with it one bit. It hasn't gone to me because it hasn't negatively affected us until it does. I'm sure I will not be in a good mood, but right now I'm okay. Unfortunately, in the 73rd minute, Tafari would find the back of the net for Dallas. And at this point, it looked like what should have been a clear three points for the black and gold was going to be an unfortunate one point draw. But then Carlos Vela steps up for a penalty in the 78th minute. Once again, officials have to go back and look at the monitor to determine it. But I think all of us were like, boom, here we go. Vela back of the net. We're going to be up to one. And he shanks it off the post. Gentlemen, are we concerned about Vela as our penalty taker, as authoritatively as Buwanga has looked at taking those? Is this the one missed that causes a rotation there? Or do we have faith in the captain going forward to take our PKs? I'm fine with him still taking them. I think he missed one last season, too. And then he was true. He is now 18 for 23 in his LAFC career. Yeah. So when there have been important matches, he's taken penalties, too. Right. I, th- I feel like he was a little too casual this one. And I also think he probably overthought it because their keeper saved two last week. And he, coincidentally, I think he kicked it to the side that he saved it to. So I think he was trying to be extra high for whatever reason, instead of going across his body and just securing it that way. So I'm okay with him still taking it, but Buwanga has been hot and he strikes it through and true every time he does hit a penalty. I think that that's blasphemy. Blasphemy. You want to sit here and say that is Carlos Vela at all? No, bro. That guy's the penalty killer, bro. Never, never say those things ever again. Boo that man. Boo that man on the mic. Chris just poured the hot sauce on that one. I love it. Caliente, amigo. Stay spicy. Well, what a day, Denny Buwanga. Starts his day in Istanbul, not Constantinople. Why did Constantinople get the works? No one's business but the Turks. Nonetheless, gets on a plane in Istanbul, takes a 13-hour flight to LAX, 
gets in a car at LAX, drives straight to the stadium, takes him about an hour to get there. About 45 minutes later, lo and behold, he shows up in the 18, finds himself subbed into the match, and has a shoss, I think it's safe to call. In in postgame, he certainly admitted he was not going for goal. He was either looking for, I think it was Hollingshead running in on goal, or uh, I think he had Killini at the back post there at the moment. So he was trying to feed the pass. Somehow, it finds its way through the wickets of Ibiaga, the keeper, into the back of the net. And glory, glory, black and gold, we go on with three points. Phenomenal, phenomenal stuff from Denny Bawanga. MVP candidate for you all. Are we ready to put that tag on him? For sure. I mean, he's been the most important player so far in the young season. I'll talk about what he said in the postgame conference. But yeah, so far, no one else has been the difference other than him in terms of getting results in the league and in TCL. You know, it's really cool to see a player that we didn't get to see a ton of last season, but he definitely made his mark coming in and getting his first goal in the match against Portland that secured the supporter shield in Portland for us. He came in in the playoffs and he had done amazing against the Galaxy and against Austin FC. Hey, had a brace against Austin. Yeah. And I mean, he just, he had done well, so well. And then now to see him just continuing on with this form and he's hot, man, it's definitely a player that if he has any desire to to go back and play in Europe, I think that there will definitely be coming suitors coming and calling, but uh, I'm hoping that he is, you know, one of those players that really enjoys playing here in Los Angeles and we get to have him for years and years. Great win at the end of the night, even in a game in which some things didn't go our way and some things certainly did. We we probably didn't have our greatest performance on the night. Still find a way to get three points. An ugly three points counts as much as a beautiful three points at the end of the season. These are the type of wins you need to have if you want to hoist a shield or a cup at the end of the season. Let's go ahead and advance the conversation to Sunday. It was an action-packed day for the black and gold, despite the team being off with having played the night before started with a really cool signing event at my soccer shop in Burbank that I got a chance to go hung out with defenders while I was down there waited in line for a little over an hour Ilya Sanchez Max Cropo, John McCarthy all waited over an hour past when the event was supposed to end to make sure that every single person who showed up got a chance to meet them and got autographs from all three of them. Hats off to this front office and team security, Paul, who did an amazing job making sure that this event ran smoothly. Bought myself a, a new LAFC kit hanging beside me here. This got all three of their signatures on it. It was a really cool event. They put out quite a spread food for everybody who showed up. And it looked like sales were popping as everybody was buying something and supporting a shop that could desperately use some help from the community, given everything that that family has been through. So hats off to LAFC and our players for stepping up and making this event happen. Really cool. Lots of fun people showed up. I saw our president and vice president of the 3252, Casey and Sue, showed up to support. Lots of members of 3252, lots of regular fans. It was just a really, really fun event to be at. All the players' wives and kids were there as well, too. It was very familial. It was a fun, fun, fun thing to do. And I love that the club continues to do things like this, not only to get our players out in the community, but to make sure that our community events are supporting noble causes here in our own backyard, just being that force for good that we love to see from LAFC. The day rolled on with another pretty fun event, the inaugural match for LAFC 2. Chris, you and I were both there, however, in slightly different capacity. I was more in the beer drinking capacity, but you, sir, were putting in some grind. Why don't you tell the fans a little bit about your involvement with LAFC 2? 
I mean, I don't know how much of a grind it was. There was definitely plenty of of the LAFC staff to go around. And I was, uh, you know, uh, so Rich is running LAFC too. He's pretty much got full controls over this. Our obligatory shout out to LAFC Rich. And he had asked if there was anybody that was interested in helping out on a volunteer basis. And I've took the opportunity really fast. And so right now I am working and kind of shadowing the PR department to kind of get a better idea of what is all involved and in, in setting up for a match and getting people where they need to be and the information that they need to have and then doing anything during the game, being a runner or what have you, and and just kind of learning the ins and outs of the PR department. And it's it's just really fun. It's a really, really cool experience. I'm really thankful for the opportunity. I'm just glad that, you know, I can be a part of it. Mario was there. Ilya Sanchez was there. A number of our owners were there. I was hanging out with Vince LaRosa, Max Bredos, Dale Black and Gold, Defenders of the Bank. The Empire Boys showed up to give that 32-52 atmosphere to the game. I was sitting next to Jordan Harvey. You know, our, our scouting team was all there. Our player development team was all there. Marco Garces was there taking some copious notes. I tried to peek over his shoulder. He was uh, none too happy about that. Closed the book pretty quick. Did not let me uh, get a little cheat sheet there. Tried to use those uh, seventh grade test skills uh, to no avail. I was unable to peek over his shoulder and find out what was going on. But it was a star-studded event in the crowd. Great turnout. Over 500 people showed up to check it out. Considering that we had played less than 24 hours before at the Mo, it was great to see so many people out there for LAFC 2. On to the match itself, I think you could clearly see it was a U22 LAFC 2 team versus what looked kind of like a U30 North Texas, a.k.a. Dallas 2 team. You could definitely see that there was a size and maturity difference between the two teams. However, from a technical standpoint, LAFC 2 had a lot of great dribbles, a lot of great plays on the ball. They unfortunately just couldn't handle the physicality of the game, caused them to get a lot of yellows, uh, a double yellow for Nolan Dolenmeyer early on, put them down a man. They had a bad giveaway that led to the early goal. They were able to see it out to a 1-0 finish. They ended up losing the game. Missed a PK late in the game that was a bit rough to see, especially because the PK was not taken well. They had a lot of great opportunities, but just couldn't finish. Gosh, does that sound familiar? Well, you know, another thing to keep in mind, too, was that LAFC 2 was down a man and the 50th minute just coming out of halftime. Uh, Dolan Meyer got another yellow card, which ultimately got him the the red card. And so they were down a man for practically the whole second half. But, you know, again, we're talking about, you know, how young this team is. And people have said that this LAFC 2 roster, they're not going to have anybody on this roster that is older than like 22 or 23. So it is definitely going to be young, hungry people that are looking to break through. And that's what this whole thing is for. It's just a place to develop and bridge from the academy to LAFC. You know, just a final comment on the game. Great interaction between the fans, the players, the front office staff. Christian, we know you got to take it in on season pass. Would love, love, love to see that have a broadcast team in the future. Hint, hint, Apple, we're, we're hireable. We're here for you. But um, uh, any thoughts, Christian, on you taking in the game tactically? Yeah, no, you could see the ideas have been transferred down. The intent is there. Obviously, maybe they've watched too much tape in, in which, like you mentioned, not enough putting the ball in the goal. But they were creating chances. And, you know, being down to 10 men, is, it's, it's difficult. And they still stuck with it and had a chance to draw at the end of the game. They just, I think they need to sort out who's going to be the kick taker in their team or give that person confidence. I mean, I'm sure that they're going to do better. They're going to look the tape and, and perform better next time. But overall, playing with against older players does bring you 
some on-field experience that they're going to need, especially if they do make the transition to the first team. I think one thing that was readily apparent, the names that we already knew on the roster were the ones who really stepped out on the day and had the best performances. You know, the players that have gotten call-ups to the senior team were certainly the players that looked the best on the day. I don't think we've seen much from the rest of the roster yet, but let's give them some time to gel and develop. I'm very, very excited about what the LAFC Academy is going to start producing in the next few years as these players get a little bit more developmental time under their wings. Moving on real quick here, we just want to say that the conversation about Mateus Bogus seems to have advanced to the point where this appears to be a done deal. There were some initial reports from Tom Bogert that have been confirmed by a few other sources online. So the 21-year-old Polish midfielder does appear to be joining us. He's played both forward and winger, but looks like he's going to be more of an eight for LAFC. He did go a full 90 on the 18th. So we do expect that announcement to be coming very, very soon. It does look like it is going to be a U22 initiative signing. Whether or not Mateus will be occupying the designated player slot or whether or not that will be going to Sifu and he will simply take one of the other two remaining U22 initiative slots remains to be seen. But good news on the horizon that the attacking midfield looks like it's going to get some depth. So more on that as we get a chance to hear an official announcement and do some continued scouting. But that about wraps us up for the first segment of today's show. We are going to be right back after this short break with today's guest. What's up, guys? This is John McCarthy, and you're listening to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. LAFC all day, baby. Joining us as our guest this week, none other than black and gold legend. It is Vince LaRosa. You know him. You love him. If you're not following at Vince LaRose, there is something wrong with you. Smash that like button. Smash that subscribe button. Vince, welcome back to the show, brother. It's so good to be back. You know, you guys put it out there. You'd love to have me anytime, but I felt like I had to get a, an extra body of work. I can't just come here empty-handed to you boys. I got to have something going on, so I'm glad that we can talk about some stuff, and I'm sure we will, but that's just the the respect I have for you guys. We're not here to just waste your time and sit around on your show. Not at all. Some good foreshadowing, like you have media training. Tell us what's new with you. What's the black and gold takeaways? What is that? Black and gold takeaways, actually, I'll, I'll tell you what. It was a, a while in the making because, as you may or may not know, listener, I know you guys know this, but when I was at LAFC, one of the things that I did that I really enjoyed doing was takeaways. I would do, I think I think we kept it at five, but there were some times where before, you know, just to put it out there for you, as much as I'm a soccer nerd, not every game is worth doing five takeaways. Some games are just boring, man. Uh, this is the way it goes. It's, and it's totally, totally fine. You can say that. It's okay. It's okay. I give you permission. Everyone to say that. But we did we did five. And I, I dude, I and I this was a labor of love, even though LAFC was was paying me to do it. I would race home after games. And many of you three probably saw me many times hanging out for a little bit and then being like, gotta get out of here, gotta get out of here. And I really wanted it to be done before the end of the night, i.e when I was going to go to sleep for the night. Just because as I started doing it that way, and this was my own deadline that I put in my head, I got more and more people being like, hey man, I have to get up early for graveyard shift or something something crazy early. And it's been so awesome to have something to continue the conversation either with friends or in their mind of what they saw the night before. And that made me really happy because at the end of the day, that's why I do it. I don't really, as much as I enjoy being called a legend by Jonathan, I do it because what makes me happy is when people tell me they, they learned something from it or they felt closer to the team because we have so many fans that are diehards 
and they know the world of football inside and out. And then there's there's a, a very good chunk of them that are really just learning um, and they want to learn so hard. So I want to keep that bar as low for them as possible so they can get in there, get excited about something and let that kind of roll downhill um, and really become fanatics for what they do. So takeaways, I went away from it, though, because I was doing more on camera talent type stuff. And I just didn't really have time or there wasn't really an outlet. But over the break, I was like, I got to I got to do this again whether it's uh, for somebody or for myself. So I, I really just made it for myself. And the response has been awesome to have people say that they miss takeaways, have new people find takeaways. I've had people be like, I never knew you wrote. And I was like, wow, that's incredible. I, I can't believe you, you found me other ways. It's something for me. It's good for my brain. It's a nice creative outlet. And I just, I really do enjoy the fact that somebody will say, oh, I noticed something in a game you explained it so perfectly. And now I can tell my friends that this is, you know, what is going on. This is what I was talking about. So it's just, it's nice to be able to share that with people. Talk about the medium, you know, now it's on Substack. Like how did you choose which medium it was going to be on? I chose Substack just because it was simple. I want to say to everyone that is a subscriber to my Substack and those that have pledged, it is a platform in which you can make money if you so choose. I have not turned it basically People will pledge to you, and if you turn it on, it then their pledges become reality. And again, I'm blown away by the amount of people that have actually pledged whatever it is. Any amount has been uh, incredible. But I didn't really choose Substack for that reason, and I don't think I plan on turning it on anytime soon. So uh, if you're out there and you pledged and you were like, oh man, I wonder if Vince is actually going to take my money. No, I'm not. It's okay. It's totally okay. Uh, you're good. I chose Substack though because uh, of the fact that it, it works as both a blog so people can find me. So it has its own presence, its own setup. It's pretty slick, but most importantly, it goes directly to your email. So in that vein of, like I said, I loved getting it done. And I still, for whatever crazy reason, after games decide that I'm going to do it right away and put it out right away. And so the second I finish it, whether it's at uh, you know midnight, 2 a.m., it goes right out into email and hits your inbox so that that when you wake up in the morning, uh, you can know that you've got an email from me with just a couple thoughts on, on the on the last match. So I thought I thought that was pretty cool from Substack because that was in the ethos of what I thought I was creating with LAFC. So, you know, and for those of you that want to hear about Vince's experiences while he was originally with LAFC back in 2018, you can listen to episode 36 and 37 for the two-parter episode uh, where you can hear about Vince and how it all started. Come a long ways from 36 and 37, man. Oh, these episodes were in September of 2019. That is when we had those episodes uh, recorded with you. That was back when we were doing stuff in person. Yeah, you um, were. Well, hey, it's, it's just a, a testament to you guys. I, I just want, well, no, the times have changed too, but I mean, just to say 36 and, uh, wait, is 36, 37, 37, 38? 36 and 37. 36 and 37. Oh, I'm older than my episodes now. This is horrible. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, look, and then now look at where you guys are, just the vast catalog. Sorry, I, I know I'm not supposed to be the one asking the questions, but if you guys had to guess, or maybe you have this on hand, like how many hours, like if I wanted to listen front to back, start mm. at one. Before this episode, start at one. Like how many hours, how long would this take me? I mean, it, you know, we started off doing only like 
30 to 45 minute episodes and it slowly expanded to like an hour and a half now. So, I, I mean, I would say I, I don't think we ever did 30, 45 minute episodes once my long winded self joined the show. So I think that only lasted about six or seven episodes. And then I showed up and we quickly became over an hour. So uh, my apologies to the black and no, gold community. But, you know, but then we started adding like all these different segments, right? Like the opponent correspondence. And it, mm-hmm. it's just so I, I would say, you know, you, you figure 150 episodes. I would say you would easily have to listen to at least like 250 hours of content. And what, what I'm going to say is get on it, people. Like, yeah, come on. Yeah. No, sorry, I, I had to bring that up because I had a short conversation with Jonathan about how uh, a lot of your episodes say evergreen. I mean, they continue to circulate. And it's just an interesting concept to think if somebody wanted to go real deep dive, like let's say you work a job or you, you're at the gym. Hey man, got over 150 hours of content right here. You can you can uh, churn it out. Maybe drop 10 pounds. I don't know. There it is. You um, know, I think it's it's funny how some of those old episodes, especially you know those interviews, like they're just as listenable today as they were two, three, four years ago. And I, I go back and I listen to some of those interviews from time to time, and uh, it's funny. I mean, especially some of those episodes when we look at numbers and we're like, how did an episode from four years ago all of a sudden get? you know, X number of new listens. It's crazy that stuff like that happens. Yeah. So go back and listen to 36 and 37. My apologies to Chris for for derailing his question. I have to do it at least once per podcast that I'm on with people. Ask defenders. I mess them up all the time just for fun. Okay, Not Chris, let's go. So during the time that LAFC had the cutbacks due to the pandemic and things like that, we came up with a hashtag, hire Vince, right? And it seems like that is a very, very popular hashtag within the LAC community because we always want to see you employed. Tell us about some of the newest adventures in the Hire Vince saga. So we, we have good news, and I hope that you guys will all enjoy this. By the time you hear this, there will be another podcast for you to check out. So, so just hours and hours of more content. It's a podcast though that you're familiar with. So it's not something that you have to refresh. It probably already is in your queue. Myself and Max Bredos, the MVP, is coming back to LAFC. Yeah, it took us a couple of games. Some things happened in the meantime. We like to say, as I wrote in the, uh, you know, we recorded the episode, uh, you know, just hours ago, hours before I'm recording with you guys. It took us about as long as uh, Denny Buonga's journey back from Gabon to Istanbul to LA, but it's worth it. But just like Denny Buonga, well worth it. We are back. Uh, I hope to be doing it weekly. The first one, unfortunately, just a audio one, but we'll hope to be back in person with video, with guests. But this first one, it, just because Max and I missed each other so much, it's just Max and I for your listening goodness. We do actually, I've tried to keep it a little more uh, formatted this year, but there was definitely multiple tangents from Max and I about very random things, including we may have upset a South American country due to uh, us not being a fan of their culinary offerings. And I want to apologize to Chicho Arango in advance. You can now start to guess where we might be going with that. But check out the episode to, to listen to it to get that. And then uh, also, you you may have seen, is uh, I will be writing for LAFC uh, probably once a week, probably just features. The takeaways will continue to be on my Substack, so please continue to, to go there. But I'll be doing some features to help everybody that loves these guys, you know, from top to bottom, learn a little bit more about them, learn a little bit more about the game, just really broaden your perspective so that when you show up on Saturday or, you know, sometimes in the midweek, uh, you're just a little bit more invested in this team. And the first one I wrote back to Denny Buonga was uh, about Denny's journey, 13 hour journey to come and score a game winner. Pretty cool, fun to sit in a press conference with Denny Buonga in that moment. 
translated by Maxime Cropo. So Maxime Cropo is very prominent in the article that I wrote. So I hope uh, people will check that out. But it's really good to get, I don't know, it's not really my roots. I, I mean, I guess it's my roots in this community. But uh, get back to uh, that that part of my life with you guys and anyone I see. I think you guys can see it. Like, I, I miss it when I'm not around it. It wears on me a little bit when I'm not doing things. And it's important to me. And I hope that it's uh, it's something, like again, if it teaches somebody something or they just take even one sentence from it, a tidbit, uh, it's more than enough for me. Brother, it sounds like you buried the lead. It's hashtag Vince hired. Come on, smash that. Ah, come on, this is this is great news for the black and gold community. Well, Jonathan, I will say this: we can still use the hire Vince hashtag because it's it's just a small bit bit of work. So I, I do I do still you know maybe maybe this is a trial period. Maybe this is my uh, I don't want to use an LFC reference because I'm not sure any trialists have actually made it um, to the team. Quadro Mahalo wasn't Apoku. a Poku is a trialist, right? Yes, and you know what? In a lot of ways, my journey will probably mirror his because not only was he a trialist, but he was a trialist that did not get signed and then got stuck there by a pandemic. And just was so awesome and worked so hard and was just such a, a great human being. And obviously he he got better as a player in that time period. But they were like, we got to sign this guy. So maybe with, with the pandemic being bad for me, but good for Mahalo, maybe we can bring it full circle. I'll get hired full time. Mahalo and I can laugh about it. He'll be he'll be like, I, I don't understand how this pertains to me, but I, I'll tell him the story. And uh, yes. Uh, so, yeah, Mahalo is a good, good reference. Yes, I will be. I will be LAFC.com's Mahala. A kid with a smile always on his face, a great contributor. I could not think of a better parallel for Vince than than Quadwo Mahala Opoku. Here we have, folks, the big announcement, the return of the MVP podcast. Um, I wish you all the best luck in trying to keep Max on the rails throughout the course of those episodes. But frankly, to be honest, some of my favorite parts of his broadcasts and his podcasts are when he gets completely off the rails and starts talking about something totally non sequitur. I think that's something we all uh, adore about Max. And the return of you writing for LAFC, I I loved the article. I loved the anecdotal notes about how rarely does the interpreter step out and speak for for the person, you know, and, and give some character points on it you just have such a great way of painting that picture the story of that particular post-game interview is one that we've heard from a lot of different outlets and it's hard sometimes especially in this podcast when we're trying to speak about something that we know everyone else is talking about how do you not be redundant how do you not tell people something they don't already know and in reading your article today I, i just i was blown away at how you had such a different way of describing something we already knew about and you painted that picture so eloquently in your own way. So, you know, my, my question is with you returning to writing and returning to podcasting, you know, as the talent, how do you find the voice and the perspective? What do you look for when you tell a story about the black and gold community to differ from so many of those other outlets that are also covering the same thing? You're asking questions like a real journalist, like I should be asking questions, huh? That's a great question. And uh, I have uh, hopefully a great answer for you. Uh, you know, this is probably a lifelong quest for me and not just in, in the football space, but I think in everything that I do is I like being around people that do extraordinary things. And I specifically say extraordinary things because I don't want to pigeonhole it to somebody that can score 50 goals or somebody that can athleticism or somebody that plays music. I I, I love learning about people in the community that do incredible things. Well, you've um, made a poor choice in your company tonight. I'm sorry, sir. Uh, you guys have 150 hours plus of history, podcasting excellence. So I, I, I'm going to respectfully disagree with you on that. But I do think, and, and look, it, 
and the, again, the reason why I say extraordinary things is because I don't want to say like, I like being near celebrities because I like being near you guys because you guys do something that's different. That's extraordinary to me. And so I always try to look for what is the extraordinary and what part of me gets excited by it. And that's how, that's the perspective I take. And look, sometimes it may be what everyone else thinks. And and so I appreciate that you, that in this last one that I wrote, it did kind of tickle you in a different way than some other people's perspectives. Uh, but I just try to be true to me because ultimately that's who I was as a kid was like, you get a magazine and you read it once. And then the next day you read it cover to cover again. And you keep, you just keep reading it until the next one comes. It's like time doesn't exist to you as a kid. You just continue to read the thing and then a new magazine shows up, new sports magazine or new set of playing cards. And that was me just to to continue to memorize it, to almost put it to memory to the point where maybe something new jumps out at you or something that wasn't important to you at that time then becomes uh, something interesting. And that's that's kind of the way I try to look at these stories. I, I run them over in my brain over and over until I find something where I go, that's what excited me most. Okay, now how can I in a succinct way, explain that to either you guys in person via podcast or put it on the paper, the digital page, we should say, for people to read. And that that's really where it comes from for me. And then from there, I just try not to be too silly because I, I do enjoy like a little asides. Like if you guys would have seen the article before it was done, there was like all these little jokes. And I try to make sure that there's a piece of me in there, but not too much where you're like, okay, Vince, we get it. You were in the room. Relax. So there is a balance there, but I I just want to go back to your original question and and say thank you. Uh, I appreciate that because that uh, ultimately was what I was trying to do was kind of paint a picture and bring you to some place you weren't, right? Um, You could watch the press conference, but maybe it doesn't come through that it's kind of silly that Maxime Cropo is sitting there with us. Because when he walked in the door and look, I I have done a podcast with Denny Buonga and Maxime Cropo was nice enough to sit with us and translate that podcast. It still blew my mind though. I'm like, what are you doing here? Why are you doing this? And it it speaks a testament to his character. But yeah, if I could just bring you in the room and you feel for a second, like you were a little bit closer and you know a little bit more about not just Denny Buonga, but the way we do things after games and the way a translator might do something, then again, I, I think I've done my job. Speaking of being in the room, right? You're in the press box, you're at the performance center, you're at the matches. Like, what do you think of the roster, the performance? There obviously are some needs and expectations from the team itself, from the fans and the supporters. If you can kind of bucket those things, performance needs and expectations, if you could speak on each one of those. Well, expectations are through the roof, right? And I I think that comes from everybody. I I think one thing that I would share with fans is this, as everything that you want to win, the team wants to win it as well. I, I haven't spoken to a single player that has like ranked anything for me. Like, I know that we all went into this and we're like, man, there's five trophies on offer. Okay, which one would you want first? These guys are like, no, no, no. There's a game this week. We're winning this game. We want this. And and that starts from the top because uh, John Thornton is one of the nicest, most graceful, polite people I've ever met. And also somehow the most competitive person. Um, I think that's probably what's most interesting about him is the ability to be those things that you don't necessarily associate with competitive. And then when he turns it on, the guy's scary, like in a good way, scary, uh, or unless you're going against him, probably bad. But I, I think expectations are through the roof. And I, But I also want to give some credit to the fan base because they understood like when LAFC lost to Alahuense at home, 
no one wants to lose at home. It's a weird feeling losing at home when you're in that stadium. And you're like, we don't lose here. We never lose here. We like, we may have bad games here, but we always seem to find a way to get something out of it. But they understood that that was only part of a bigger picture. I didn't see a lot of slander of the team the way uh, I see some fan bases where they're like, you guys just didn't do it. Like they understood. They said some things need to be cleaned up. We understand that you guys might've been three goals up. You took care of business when you had to. And then you got it, you know, you got the goal that you needed to make sure that it was professionally done. You took care of it. So I'll say expectations are through the roof, but I do feel like more and more, I don't say maturing, but I just feel like the the fan base more and more is starting to, to get its mind around, hey, we're not going anywhere. Like this club's going to be here. We're going to win trophies. There's always going to be a next season, but, but right now is the most important thing. So I get that performance wise. I think the club has been, I would give it a B if I, if I'm doing it and that, and, and that, that's with a lot of tough things like that, that game getting canceled, the Rose bowl game messes with your calculations, messes with some things. And then just obviously the the kind of sprint that you have at the beginning where you have so many games and such a congested period. I think they really navigated that well, but when you look at some of these games, I still, I mean, yet, I mean, I'm trying to think, we always like to say 90 minute performance. This was like something that we last season kind of got away with for a long period of time. And maybe it's because we didn't have a lot of competitions. Like if you think back to last season, the main question we had after most games was, is, is LFC a slow starting team? Like what's going on here? They start slow and then they just steamrolled teams. Like if you, if LFC got to a game last season at 0-0-1-1, that opposing team had to be terrified that Steve Trondolo was not only going to have 15 minutes to sit with his team and say, guys, this is what's wrong. This is what's wrong. Do this, do this, do this. But also I have five changes in my back pocket. And he had a bench that he felt comfortable with five subs. This year, it's been kind of quicker starts, but then lapses of focus for little moments. Um, and I think this Dallas game was a perfect example. That start, that first 15 minutes, incredible. I thought they were going to have three, four goals after Tillman scored and then never really got it. Dallas punches back and then almost literally punches back by getting a red card. And then it's like the level dropped. Uh, it was, it wasn't, the quality was still there, but the the pace wasn't there. The intensity wasn't quite the same. So that's why I'm going to give them a B because I think they can be better. What was the, the last one was more on like the roster build needs needs. So I, I like this team a lot. I don't think they're far off. I think lately we've been hearing Steve Toronto say one or two players. And I think he's right. One or two players. I wish, and I tried to do a dive on this, but it was going to take me too long. I wanted to see how many times last season, Steve used four and five subs, which is, you know, kind of the new norm is having that extra versus this year. I don't, I mean, two subs is like what he uses. So clearly when he says one or two players, he's serious. Like he looks at that bench and goes, I just don't, know if in this moment and in this game I can bring extra guys in and that's luckily not hampered him at this point right because the guys like we said have have put in quick starts but I think you need another midfielder solely for the fact that Ilya Sanchez has played in all but one game for LAFC that's incredible and I love Ilya Sanchez but he can't this can't it's not sustainable it's just not sustainable right and then Kellen Acosta is also a machine but he's going to start to miss some games with the national team at some point Tillman, I think, is an incredible signing, and I think we're seeing that. I know, I knew when he came in, I was excited for him, but he's exceeded my expectations to the point where, I mean, he is not just the fact that Sifu's gone, he's keeping Sifu out of the lineup. But I think you still need another guy because as much as I love Eric Duenas, I'm actually higher on Danny Christosimo than most people are because I think it's an MLS roster. Once you start to go to your fifth, sixth midfielder, you just got to have a guy that you know is competent. It's not like he's got to be a world beater, but I think... One guy there, and then just some kind of attacking option. 
you can't just have Stipe Buchan. If, if it's me, and I'm this uh, now I'm speaking solely for me, not for the team, because I think the team will get, they love their fluid attackers. I think we'll see more of a similar profile to, to a Stipe Buke, like a Mahala, like a Carlos Vela, like a Denny Bongo. But if it's me, and uh, it's this time period before the summer window, where, you know, summer windows where you're, you're going to look at bigger names with with higher price tags, more quality behind them. I would just right now, and there's there's probably a couple guys out there, maybe just a nine that you can come in at like 15 minutes at the end of the game when you just need a goal. And I know LFC doesn't send a lot of crosses, but every once in a while, a game is going to turn into that, where a team is literally going to put like 11 guys in their own box and say, what are you going to do? You're not going to pass around us. So I, I just, I think it's kind of change of pace and you can normally get those guys because they're, they're wily veteran types. Like if I could have my choice and if he was still available and still playing and he wasn't doing great things for Apple TV, I would take BWP back in a heartbeat. Like that's the type of guy having been around him sometimes. I don't know how much he would enjoy coming off the bench. He's a guy that he's like, I could still give you 90 minutes. I mean, I remember one time and now I'm going on a tangent. Max asked him a question about one thing because he raced onto a ball and Max goes, showed some pace there, huh? And he was like, yeah. And he stopped. He goes, what are you saying about my pace? And I was like, no, Max, man, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't mess with BWP. So I don't know if he would, he would take that kind of role, but there's always kind of guys like that, right? There's uh, the number nines. It's a position where if you can kind of swallow a little bit of your pride and still be effective in short spurts, you can come off the bench and you can really help a team. As one of the more brilliant football minds in the black and gold community, someone who has a wealth of history and experience and knowledge. This game as you sit here in front of us wearing your world cup 94 hat, which I love by the way, I'm curious if from your deep and profound tactical knowledge of the game, you could describe a little bit for the fans, what you think the differences are between the Bob ball era and the new Dolo ball era of LAFC. Ooh, Bob was all gas, no breaks. And Steve is pragmatism. And I know pragmatism has become kind of a dirty word in, in soccer uh, you know, circles because I think it's because so many teams have picked up this way, this kind of pep aura of we have a plan A, we do plan A better than anyone else does their plan A, and plan B is to just do plan A better. And look, that's exciting to watch because a team that knows themselves and knows the way they want to play is always thrilling. You know what you're going to get. You go, you go out there and you just know you're going to see a, a certain type of football and a certain type of style that, that players have worked that meticulously on all week. And that's not to say that Steve doesn't, there's still a plan A. Like at the highest level, LAFC is still a pressing team, a front-footed team, a team that wants, and a team that wants to score goals. Now, what Steve has added is, okay, guys, you used to score goals by going 100 miles an hour all the time. What if, what if there's a time period when you're kind of under pressure and you need to sit back for a while and just kind of soak that up and sucker a team in, and then you go right at them? Can you do that? He's asked that question, and they've shown they can do that. And, th and then he's gone, well, okay, obviously we know that you know set pieces have become a bigger part of the game. Actually, they've, they've always been a big part of the game. It's just we haven't looked at them quite the same. And he said, how can we be better on set pieces, but on both sides of the ball? So he's, he's added that layer to him. And I think he just he understands that like when you get these type of talented players that can go fast and they can play in the smallest of spaces, when you tell them, guys, I don't care how you find the space or where the space is, just go to it and then do the stuff that you do. Like he lets them figure it out. That makes it an incredibly dangerous team because now when you're coming in to play LFC, you're thinking, 
okay, um, you know, they, they want to do this and that. And then Steve Trello goes, well, what if my team wants to counterattack you? And you go, oh, great. Now we can't come forward at all. Okay, well, we'll sit back. And he goes, okay, well, guess what? We're getting a little bit better on set pieces. So we'll open you up with a set piece if you're just going to sit back and foul us in and around the box for, for 90 minutes. So I think that's what has made the team a little bit different. But I still think that the the groundwork that John Thornton and Bob Bradley laid, the, the, this team is going to be a fast team. This team is going to be a proactive team. This team is going to be a modern team are all still there. It's just Steve kind of uh, filled in some some extra layers for them. You know, I'm going to be honest with you, Vince. I hadn't really had any fear of losing Steve Terundolo as a coach to another team or anything like that until you just kind of spoke right now. And we're just, you know, kind of putting that into perspective of just how he is going and comparing him to a little bit of his style to like that of Pep Guardiola and the pragmatism that you had spoken about. Now it's like an actual genuine thing. Like, man, you know. I think that we've gotten so comfortable and complacent here with, with what we have and what, what has been built here for this club that it's like, you know, why would you want to go? Well, you know, the idea of Steve ever leaving is something where it's like, but it, it very well could happen, right? Openings at the U S men's national team, maybe going back to Germany and things like that. But it's, you know, if, if we continue to find success, I, it may not be one of those things where, you know, we're losing players. We might be losing coaches. Yeah, but it, it, at the end of the day, if you are losing Steve, it's probably because the trail behind him will be littered with silverware. So that's a that's a good problem to have. We're starting to see it from the front office uh, team, starting to get an idea of like what they should be uh, poaching off of LAFC. I mean, it's uh, it's a form of flattery. It hurts, but this is the the way it goes, and it usually means you're doing something right. So, like I said, you know, way earlier on. That we're going to be here. This club's always going to be here. So Steve may go one day, come back. You never know. But let's hope that it, the reason he leaves is because of success and not because of failure. Absolutely. Well, Vince, you've been a great guest with us again. This has been Vince LaRosa. You can follow him at Vince the Rose. Before we let you go, you know, we wanted to talk a little bit about 110 football, your tenure there and things like that. And there have been a lot of people in, in the LAFC community that have just been kind of wondering What's to be expected of them? They had gone through a couple of rebrands. Is this just a period of time where they're going through a new rebrand or, you know, what's going on? The social media pages are still up, but they kind of seem a little bit dormant or inactive. So, you know, f- whatever it is that you can or cannot say, just can you give any kind of update as to where 110 football is and what we can expect from them? Yeah, let me just start by saying everyone that I've either interacted with digitally or ran into at the stadium, There's and there's plenty of you that say I have. I have nowhere to go after the game. I used to love being able to walk over to 110 where you guys were and talk about the what just happened right right after the game. It, you know, it, it, it almost makes me tear up because it, it does, uh, it feels great to know. Because as you alluded to, there was a lot of rebrands in 110. Like there was a lot of things that we were working through, things that we were trying. I mean, I, I came in after this thing had already started with Connor and Jerry and they kind of had this idea and then we kind of molded it. We molded it more. And it did seem like this last version that we had was probably the best and we were on to something. And so I'm with you when, uh, if you're out there and thinking, it was so good. It was so good. Why did it have to leave? And unfortunately, this is a hard business. I, <laughs> I'm a testament to it, sadly, multiple times. And you, maybe you have friends that have worked in the sports industry, but it's, it's a tough industry because there's only so much of the pie out there and everyone's trying to grab it and you're you're competing with a lot of different places. And especially in MLS this season, 
there was a, so many changes. You know, Apple, MLS taking over kind of the the whole production method. LAFC winning a championship. I mean, that that honestly changes things in perspective of LAFC's eyes of what they want to do and what the next step is. And so with 110, we wanted to continue on. We wanted to do bigger and better, but at the moment in time that we sit here right now, it just was not viable and not possible to meet the needs of what we wanted to do at the production level and the quality that we wanted to do. So unfortunately, they decided to to just take a complete step back. It Could it come back in the future? Of course. You know, Connor's still at games. He's still a big fan. His dad, who, you know, kind of helped spearhead the funding of it, is still a, a massive fan. But just at this moment, it's just not the right time to be doing something like that. And unfortunately, that's not a great answer for everyone because everyone's like, well, I just, but I loved it. And I'm sorry, I wish there was more I could share with you, but it's just not the the time. And uh, luckily, you can still see a lot of the people that were in and around it because they're not leaving. So myself included, Jonathan, you were on the show way, way back when. Uh, Defenders, of course. So a lot of the faces and a lot of the personalities, and that's one of the things that I probably will miss the most is we kind of had a community that was creating its own personalities. And so I'm so happy to see them. I hope that if you're listening out there and you're like, I don't have an outlet anymore. I don't know. Create a Substack too. Or you hit me up. You can write on my Substack. I, we'll find an outlet for you, right? But yeah, sadly, 110 is, is at least dormant. Let's put it that way. But that gives, you know, I think 110 saw opportunity in LAFC and in different ways that, you know, LAFC runs its business a certain way. Fans want other things. So we had an idea and uh, I think there's more avenues. So if you miss 110, do, I mean, do your own. And if you want help with it, call me up. I'll, I'll, help, I'll, help, you, uh, I'll help you run through it. There's plenty of ways that you can do things. I mean, this podcast obviously is one of them why, where you can do things in a unique way for a unique community. So I would say do it if you want to do something. And uh, like I said, I'm, I'm here to help anybody that wants to, to do something similar. And that, that was really the greatest part about 110 football. Uh, maybe not a well inebriated Philly in a Pharaoh outfit or watching, uh, you know, Jr. get pies slammed in his face, which uh, happen to be two of my favorite moments from from those post game wrap ups. But uh, thank God, Jr. is such a good fan. It's such a good sport, man. Oh, I, I remember that. It, it like splattered everywhere. She got him good. She got him good. That's for sure. Vince, you've been very generous with your time. We do have one final question for you. You may have seen this one coming because you've answered this question already. But uh, the post-pandemic Vince, the Vince who has uh, once again been through the Hire Vince campaign, is still on the trail of brand promotion, uh, but some brilliant news currently at the forefront right now in your world. But has that changed your answer to Vince LaRosa? What does shoulder-to-shoulder mean to you, sir? You know what? I think it has. I think. You know, just and I, I, I'll have to get like just kind of really kind of introspective in this moment. It's, uh, but hopefully somebody can take something from this. It's like try to do something that interests you, and there will be somebody else that either they want to run with it, or they just want to thank you for it. And that's something that I, I still struggle with. Not struggle is a weird word, but like when people thank me, I'm like, I'm not, I'm nobody. You know, I'm just out there doing doing something I think is interesting. But I think that's what shoulder to shoulder is. Like, there's someone out there, at least one person, that likes what you do, and keep doing it. And guess what? You'll figure out is there's more than one person because they have a friend or someone else has a friend. So shoulder to shoulder to me has become just this embrace of what you do. And ultimately, coming from someone that has unfortunately 
lost jobs that they really loved, I never feel the same doing those jobs and receiving a paycheck than I do when I'm walking in a stadium and somebody grabs me and tells me that their five-year-old kid loves listening to the podcast. Like nothing's going to top that. That's not, it's just not possible. Or, you know, they want to take a picture. Like, really? You want to, fine. I mean, if you want a picture of me, I'm I'm down. But so that shoulder to shoulder to me has become, if you do things that you're passionate about and with the right intentions in mind, there will be people that will lift you up and be there for you, even when things get a little bit dark. That's what shoulder to shoulder is. Beautiful words. Folks, we have once again been joined by co-host of the MVP podcast and staff writer for LAFC. Those things feel really good to say about you, my friend. It is Vince LaRosa who has been with us. Please give him a follow at Vince LaRose. Vince, thank you so much once again for joining us, brother. We sincerely appreciate you. Folks, we are going to take a quick break and be right back with today's opponent correspondent. Hey, this is Travis Helwig from Crooked Media, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Joining us as our opponent correspondent this week for the Colorado Rapids is going to be none other than a triumphant return once again of Matt Pollard. You can follow him. Last word on sports and holding the high line and the Burgundy Wave. Those outlets can be found at Rapids 96 Podcast at LWOS Matt Pollard and lastwordonsports.com. He currently covers the Colorado Rapids, the Galaxy, and both U.S. national teams. Welcome back to the show, Matt. Did I get that right? Uh, I think close enough, Jonathan. I'll give you, um, you know, solid nine out of ten. So almost almost as good as Dennis Bowanga's performance off the bench the other day. Wow, bro. Even we don't give you a nine out of ten. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. It's passing grade in my book. So Matt, welcome back. Really happy to have you. So let's get right into it. Let's talk about some of the offseason moves. It's always the most fun to talk and have our opponent correspondents when the offseason is still kind of relevant as opposed to the end of the season when we're talking to people that, you know, might have been on the show for the first time. So subtractions, right? Defender Lucas Estevez is no longer with the club. His option to purchase was declined and he returned to his club Palmieras. And then the goalie, Clint Irwin, is at Minnesota United on a free. And Jossie Zardes is at Austin FC on a free. And you guys just saw Austin FC this past weekend. So talk to us a little bit about those three players and some of the holes that they might have left. Yeah, the only real significant one that you had, I think, was certainly Lucas Estevez, who departed, you know, who was really without Diego Rubio, the most dynamic attacking piece that you had overlapping in that role that was vacated by Sam Vines, who's now applying his trade in Europe at Royal Antwerp. And I think that really came down to I think there was some personality clashes. You know, Lucas Estevez was a little bit of a hothead. He got a little bit of the red mist. And I think they thought from a financial standpoint, it wasn't really worth the reported, albeit entirely from outlets based in Brazil. So take these with a, a three, four finger pinch of salt was uh, a 50% stake for a million dollars. So effectively a million dollars to acquire him outright. And then a 50% sell on clause, regardless of where Lucas Estevez is going. I, I don't know if that means that the Rapids would have been sending GAM to uh, Palmeiras if uh, he was moved within the league. But um, in any case, so that was the circumstance there. Clint Irwin wasn't getting a whole lot of playing time. I can count on one hand the number of min- games that he played. Um 
after William Yarbrough had joined the team, obviously. And I think it was pretty clear that he wanted a new environment. And I think the Rapids were certainly understandably going to let him go. And as we saw this past weekend, as we've seen in uh, CONCACAF Champions Leagues, we're on an LAFC podcast, so I assume I can dish on Jossie's artist and that'll be okay. He hasn't been particularly good. And, uh, you know, I I don't think that he's providing his holdup play was decent, which is certainly something the Rapids missed from four foot nothing Jonathan Lewis over the weekend in a false nine role as well but he's not really creating a whole lot of opportunities. Um, The offense for Austin still continues to be singularly reliant on the ball getting to Drew UC and then what is Drew UC doing with the ball. And in that regard, Zardis isn't getting in good positions to create tap-ins in the ways that he was at times once he had settled in with Diego Rubio as well. So I think there were a lot of Rapids fans looking at the first couple games for Darren Yappi, who's the, you know, the big homegrown sensation for the Rapids. He's with the, um, the U20s right now thinking, you know, could he be the next big thing? Could he be the next Cole Bassett? And he's gotten starts. He's gotten opportunities. He hasn't scored. Ah, we should have kept on to Jossie's artists. I don't think very many people are thinking that. And I definitely think Rapids fans won't think that when it comes out that he's making probably like a million dollars in a couple of weeks when the MLSPA, um, you know, releases their salaries. I think Violette agrees with you, though. Jazz is really good for Austin. So we're now looking at some of the additions, right? And uh, feel free to go ahead and bash Kevin Cabral too, by all means, when you are, <laughs> are are looking at and talking about former Galaxy players. So Kevin Cabral is now playing for the Colorado Rapids. He arrived from the Galaxy for $1 million in GAM. He had 61 appearances with the Galaxy. You also acquired English forward Calvin Harris from FC Cincinnati for 375000 in GAM, he had 24 appearances for Cincinnati. Irish midfielder Connor Ronan from Wolverhampton Wolves, who actually only had eight appearances for Wolves, but he had a ton of loan spells. Um, so that might be uh, an interesting opportunity for someone to finally find a home and a landing spot. Danish defender Andres Maxo from Brody with 96 appearances. Australian defender Alex Gershbach uh, from French side Grenoble on Ligue 2 with 42 appearances, and then Serbian goalie Marko Ilic, who is on loan with an option to buy from Belgian side KV Kortrich uh, with 71 appearances. So talk to us a little bit about some of these players. Who are you expecting uh, a lot from? And uh, definitely you know, talk to us a little bit about William Yarborough and where Ilic might play at this role. Absolutely. Uh, We'll start with the big money acquisition, certainly the interleague one that's most significant, which was Kevin Cabral. And this was kind of the, for me, this was like coming full circle of the Rapids approach to distressed assets and then buying players from, they were maybe on the wrong team or maybe overvalued and everything. I think in total assets, it ended up being like Kevin Baxter had this number. I think it was five or $6 million that they were paying for Kevin Cabral. And I think we can all agree. He's not a $6 million player. He wasn't for the galaxy. He's not right now. Um, you know, if he scores a couple own goals, uh, you know, against LAFC this weekend, then maybe he'll be worth six million to LAFC. But, um, you know, I think that the Rapids got good value on him in terms of what it costs from an interleague asset standpoint to acquire him. And I think he's coming into a much healthier environment. You know, Robin Frazier, it's a big family and everything. There's a decent French contingency now with a couple of the players they've acquired. And Alex Gershbach, who I'll talk about in a minute, who's been playing in France and wants to maintain his French. So actually, Cabral will come up to him and default. They'll speak French rather than English. So um, maybe there's a little bit of a better cultural environment for there. And I think Cabral has to think coming in 
to a smaller team and everything being slighted by the galaxy and everything that he's going to have a little bit of revenge energy in ways that we've seen Kellen Acosta do towards Dallas coming from Colorado and ways that Kellen Acosta probably is thinking about this coming Saturday as well. So that being said, he has started just one game and it was on the road at San Jose and he wasn't particularly good. Robin Frazier's talked about how he was a little bit slow to start in preseason. He really kind of has turned a corner a little bit now in terms of better understanding the tactical ideas, what they really want from him from a consistency and a commitment standpoint. Robin's a culture guy. Robin Frazier is a big man. Uh, he's really big into consistency as well. And maybe Cambral's finally um, adopting and realizing that. And the fact that he comes off the bench and he scores the goal to deservedly get the Rapids a point in Austin and everything. I think Rapids fans and the team is certainly hoping that this is a, a pivotal point for him to improve as well. But certainly, uh, other than Diego Rubio, there's no bigger offensive responsibility and expectations on him this season. And ultimately, if he ends up failing, I think the I think they'll be looking at that and thinking, was there a misevaluation or a misidentification of talent in wanting him from LA Galaxy? Or was there something that they mishandled in trying to get more out of this player who got a bunch of really good chances when defenses had to worry about Chicharito and Dejan Jovalik, and then Cabral ends up missing a bunch of sitters, as we have seen the Colorado Rapids deal with. I'll yeah. move on. Uh, uh, I won't go in the order that you had them in, Chris, next. I'll go in the order of, I think, the next biggest signing, which is Andreas Maxu, who's coming in from being an absolute legend at Bronby. He was their captain. He was great in the air on both sides of the ball. This is the prototypical center back that I think the Colorado Rapids have wanted. I think it's the more well-rounded version of Danny Wilson, and they, uh, the Rapids are want for Scandinavian players who fit in really well from a climate standpoint in Colorado with our weather and, you know, having to deal with snow classicos and everything. So, uh, Max Shu has been decent, has been really, really good. There's a bit of a language barrier in terms of his English to where maybe hearing Danny Wilson's Scottish accent and then Alex Gershbach's Australian accent. And then potentially he's about to have a goalkeeper who's speaking English as a second language as well. But he's been decent in the air. He's been decent defensively. He hasn't really gotten on the end of any corners yet, but I expect him to be one, oh, by the end of the season. He will be considered one of the best center back acquisitions from outside the league. I, I still think Aaron Long going to LAFC is probably one of the best pickups for a team there. Um, I'll move right in front of him. Connor Ronan's an absolute baller. The Rapids have a really good relationship with Wolves going back to getting Jack Price and everything. And I think the understanding they had when they were trying to scout him and almost the exact same trajectory that you had with Jack Price, where it was starter in League One, mostly a starter in the championship, wasn't really getting an oppor opportunity in the Premier League and everything, looking for a fresh start and a new opportunity in a role that fits him perfectly. He's a number six. He's a number eight. He's a baller. He's a bulldog on the ball and everything. He's everything the Rapids want in a midfielder. I, I would almost argue he was brought in to fill the hole that was still vacated by Kellen Acosta that the Rapids poorly tried to fill in 2022. So uh, if there was any player two games in that I was absolutely sold on, it's Ronan. I'm already sold on Ronan. I'm already sold on Andreas Maxchu. TBD on Cabral, also TBD on Alex Gershbach, who uh, effectively you could say is brought in to replace Lucas Estevez. He's done a couple decent things in terms of overlapping, but he's been caught a little bit upfield. And this is where I'm kind of worried about this game as well, where I look at this, I think this could be a battle in the midfield. I think Ralph Prizzo and Ronan could just get stuck in with Ilya Sanchez and Kellen Acosta. And then you've got Danny Bowanga and Opoku out wide. And Keegan Rosenberry is great, but he's no spring chicken. And potentially Gershbach could be 
he caught a little bit upfield, and just like he got cooked by Jordan Morris on the opening weekend, could get an opportunity there. That being said, there's been a bit of a rotation in that position. The Rapids had a bunch of hamstring injuries to all of their fullbacks, so I don't even know if Gershbeck is starting this weekend with his injury. It could be Steven Batesher, who's very familiar with how LAFC likes to play former player for them. And then obviously it could also be Anthony Markanich in his second year with the team. He was a second round draft pick out of Northern Illinois university as well, who the Rapids kind of like, but he's a little bit of a project. And I think realistically starting every single week and getting better at the things he's bad at for Rapids too would be better for him this season, but he's going to have to play at some point and we'll see whether or not he gets opportunities there. Calvin Harris has, I think featured in just one sub appearance. And I think he's clearly down the pecking order from a Darren Yappi from a Diego Rubio. So unless there's an issue with those two players coming out of international duty, um, I don't know that he features in this game. Marco Illich is the interesting one because you look at the timing of him coming in and the Rapids really wanting to bring him in. They've, they've been looking for a goalkeeper to be the long-term replacement for Yarbrough, who has a team option for 2024. But I think the word's pretty much out that Yarbrough's a decent organizer of the defense. He's not an elite shot stopper, and he's not elite in distribution. And if you're not doing one of those two things really, really well, MLS teams are going to look for an upgrade at that position. The metrics based out of Belgium, which I don't have a good understanding of as a league, is that he's better on that option. I think ultimately, this deal's kind of weird because KVK is in potentially a relegation battle. And so they probably don't want to make a long-term position at goalkeeper until they know what their situation is. From my understanding, the uh, purchase option is probably at value and would be worthwhile in terms of long-term. But, you know, you've only got a couple months left to go and he's going to have to start getting game time in order to actually evaluate and determine whether or not you want to buy him. And if you do buy him, that's probably a signal to Yarbrough. You're looking for a new club in December. And how does Robin Frazier handle that is a really good question. I think Yarbrough starts this Saturday regardless. I feel like Yarbrough's Leon days are behind him for sure. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you sound very optimistic overall. I know that you had a little a little knock there at the end, but in terms of last year in comparison, last year you all ended in 10th place, right? You're trending in a okay direction right now to start the season. At least you scored earlier than Kansas City or Sporting did this year. Current record, oh, two ties and three losses. And you know, recently tied against Austin. That's a big deal. That's that's not an easy place to go play even though they haven't had the best of a start of a season. But still, um, that place can be raucous, and being the away team and being able to score and, and kind of get a result is important. How do you feel this year is going to fare and what you think the current form is going to be against LAFC in this weekend? Yeah, Christian, I, I think I think Saturday's performance on the whole of it, given the circumstances, was the best performance of the season. I think it was the best performance in terms of what the Rapids tried to do from an attacking standpoint. You look back at, we'll throw the, the Seattle game out the window because of just the this is that scoreline. But you look at against Kansas City, against Minnesota, against at San Jose, it was just too slow in the buildup. The patterns of play were a little bit too predictable, and they weren't doing any, anything on or off the ball to open up the opposing defense or really make them uncomfortable. And I thought the intensity was much better against Austin. I think it was better against Minnesota than it was against San Jose or against Kansas City. I, I still don't know that uh, that the execution is quite there. And still, without 
Diego Rubio on this team scoring goals and without one of the other players in form, a Jonathan Lewis, a young Darren Yappi getting confidence, a Kevin Cabral getting off his, you know, breaking the duck and everything. I, I don't know that this team's a consistent threat without Diego Rubio running everything in the middle as well. That's still very much a concern I have. And, you know, going back to, you know, Jack Price, who um, we haven't talked about yet, is out for the season with a uh, torn Achilles tendon that he suffered against Minnesota just coming back from injury and everything. You look at the stats and everything. It is as bad as the stats for Portland Timbers points for games wise with or without Diego Chara. This is a team that is comfortably not a playoff team. That is a potential wooden spoon contender without Jack price statistically over his time with the club. And this is a team that is comfortably a playoff team with Jack price in the lineup. Can Connor Ronan elevate his play slightly out of position with pricey out and can the Rapids find out some other solution in in midfield, that's a really good question that Robin Frazier's paid relative to Anthony Hudson a lot of money uh, to try and come up with a solution for. Um, and, you know, Kevin Cabral is a DP. Jonathan Lewis is an important player for this team. Cole Bass is coming back after a really poor stint, you know, on loan in the area of Vizay. He wants to get back to Europe. He needs to become goal Bassett, not host Bassett in order to get back into the lineup. I, without I, I think Ronan can elevate to the point where he's at or above replacement for Jack Price, but without a secondary, a viable secondary scoring option and defense is able to queuing in on Diego Rubio, I do not believe that this is a playoff team. You've already sort of touched on a lot of the topics I wanted to talk to you about, uh, you know, the injury to Captain Jack, uh, what you think is going to happen in the starting 11 and what you think the matchups are going to be as far as the midfield goes. My question is, if Colorado are able to come away with one to three points in this game, what matchups do they need to win? And what players should LAFC be concerned about looking at this team? If perchance against the odds, you're going to come away with points in this matchup. I think it starts in the midfield. Um, are the Rapids able to win those 50-50 balls? Are they able to get possession and then play out of really difficult pressure situations where you're dealing with just the, the LAFC is the better counter-attacking team than the Colorado Rapids are right now. There, there's no doubt in my mind about that, regardless of even if the Rapids were fully healthy and Cabral was 90 minutes fit um, at altitude in this game. So that's the first one for me. So crudely, probably Cole Bassett versus Ilya Sanchez. If... Um, John, you're looking for a if you're looking for a one v one matchup, and I think it's the the question I then have. I, I would have had Jack Price in the back, and then Connor Ronan versus Kellen Acosta with an interesting narrative going on there. I think now it's a question of do you play Brian Acosta, who's probably the most Concacafy of the midfielders you have. I have not been high on the performances this season for Ralph Prizzo, who came in in the Mark Anthony K trade to Toronto FC, who came in and bulldogged it in a few games last season when the midfield was just in shambles and just somebody who could run, take a tackle, win a ball, and then like yell at somebody and get in their head was a net positive for the team relative to Colin Warner. Um, that being said, I think this is a game that could almost fit him and everything in that personality. He's kind of a, if a chicken got its head cut off and it rolled everywhere, but it was an absolute bulldozer and everything that's basically what ralph prizzo is he's a he's a disorganized young and almost fearless but kind of dumb version of kellen acosta maybe is the best long-winded version i can come up with that and maybe this is a game that would kind of suit that like the create the chaos to dis uh to make lafc discomfortable and then ultimately try and play off of that so i think that's another possible option once the ball gets one in midfield and put to wherever it's going as i said earlier i think it's about what's happening out wide 
Keegan Rosenberry, I thought, had his best performance of the season, and Robin Frazier called it one of his best performances in a while. So going back to last year, which is saying something about one of the former Ironmen right back in this league. So him versus Dennis Bowanga, who I assume is going to be over the jet lag by this Saturday and everything, I think is an interesting question. Uh, I'll have to wait on the injury report to see who's going up against uh, against Kope Apoku on the left side as well. If it's Gershback, I'm a little nervous. I'd almost think given the circumstances and given its former club, this will be one of those things where Robin Frazier just trusts one of his defenders and says, you know, beta sure, like go out there, play as hard as you can. I'll check in with you at halftime. And if we have to make a sub at 60 minutes, um, you know, go ahead and deal with that. I think everyone in the black and gold community would love to see the beta fish out there. So hoping Steven gets a chance to come out and show us beta fish. I haven't heard that. Where does that come from? Oh, that's what we affectionately referred to him as when he was here with the black and gold. So I I think that's just a throwback for us to his, uh, his term of endearment when he was with us, but uh, okay. I've heard beta and everybody calls him beta. I have not heard the fish part. Uh, that might just be entirely us, actually, okay. um, uh, on this show, uh, our our term of endearment for him. But uh, you look, the prospect for the season might not be great, but I will say you guys knocked it out of the part and might be winning a cup just in the kit bowl. Uh, I love <laughs> the new kits, the mental awareness kits. They did a fantastic job with those. I, I really, really think that 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 was uh, a win for the team and uh you know, if if things for the, the Colorado Rapids don't go so well, at least you can look to that parent club arsenal and be excited with uh, what's happening there, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm really excited for more Arsenal players than Rapids players to feature in the All-Star game this <laughs> this coming summer and everything. But no, I am. Yes, uh, the Rapids are the are the 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 are the. Um, are the stepchild, the ugly duckling of the KSC family and everything. As we sit here and look at the avalanche defending, uh, you know, Stanley Cup champions, uh, the Nuggets probably being one of the top seeds in the Western Conference in um, the NBA. And then certainly Arsenal, who <laughs> I, I don't know how much Premier League talk you guys want to talk. I am increasingly. Oh, come on, do, you gooners. If they don't lose the game upcoming to City. Um. Uh. Then I, I. I would predict at that point that. Uh. That they would become inevitable and they would ultimately end up winning it. Um. Not that that's going to lead to any more money revenue coming into Arsenal. That then KSE transfers over to the Colorado Rapids meager transfer budget. But. <laughs> but yes. No. Um. But no. Th- thank you. Uh, thank you, Jonathan. The uh, yeah, the the new the last two kits, both in design and I think the appealing to the fan base and the community and having a talking point for education have really knocked it out of the park. Um, you know, as someone who climbs 14ers and is super outdoorsy, the opportunity to go on other podcasts and wear that shirt and then have a conversation with Atlanta guys about how like what's your local state park and are you doing a good job from an environmental restoration and education standpoint about that point, even though you don't have 14ers in your state whatsoever. Is a great topic and the fact that um you know the rapids really saw an issue in terms of coming out of the pandemic mental health being an issue in the state and everything and are trying to address that and proceeds from the shirt and everything going to that as well you know and at least i've i've done a couple pieces for last word about how the club actually developed a a position um i can't remember brian reads his name and I, i think he's player wellness officer some term like that and it was originally identified out of the fact that they saw performances from academy players drop coming out of the pandemic and they also saw grades regardless of their academic situation or what uh, level of grade they were in go down as well and saw that as being something that they can improve upon and now increasing resources with that you combine that with having the local health provider 
UC Health as the shirt sponsor and getting resources as well from that. Um, the doctor who they're working with, the team doctor, um, referred the surgeon who did Jack Price's surgery as well. Um, it's a great talking point. It's a great initiative that's going to help the club on and off the field as well. And the fact that we can sit here and have this conversation is a lot of Rapids fans are probably going to be very, very sad with some of the results on the road with this kit and everything. Um you know, is great. And the, the one thing that I will say, um, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I know for some of the other expansion teams that I've seen as well, where the Rapids haven't featured blue in their kit a whole lot, they actually think the club's colors are burgundy and white because of the burgundy and white season ticket holder scarves and because of the crest as well. So I've heard from players, from people in the club, from the front office, from fans and everything, everybody's so happy that like there's actually a blue secondary kit. So you look at the two kits together, it's burgundy and blue. With all that said... Prediction for the weekend. How do you feel? Uh, yes, I just got off of a uh, recording holding the high line um, with Rabbi Mark Goodman as well. And I said a 1-0 LAFC win in this one. So that's the prediction that I'm going for. Um, I am aware uh, we had a, a funny conversation about this because if I'm not mistaken, LAFC has yet to win in Commerce City. And there was a big talking point a couple weeks ago about how Minnesota had yet to win in Colorado. And then they came in and win as well. And um, every single person in the Rapids media space at some point has gotten dunked on by the fan base or maybe chirped by one of the players as well. I think it was I think it was this picture last year because the Rapids played an open cup at Minnesota, there was the field got flooded with a crazy rain situation. The game got delayed and they had like 48 hours. They got back like, I think, Friday morning or Thursday night from that game. They didn't even have a training. They did like a regen session and then went into LAFC. I believe it was 2-0. I think it was on two penalties, if I'm not mistaken. And so like everybody was going into that game being like scheduled loss for the Rapids and they found a way to win a game. I did not predict the Rapids to win on decision day and win the Western Conference in 2021 as well. So I am very aware both on my own podcast and on an LAFC podcast that I'm predicting the very chalky thing to happen when there's a very real possibility that non-chalk happens as well. He says fully entrenched in March Madness. <laughs> well, how about for the season? How do you feel Colorado Rapids are going to do this year? Yeah, um, I, I still don't think that they end up making the playoffs even with the expanded playoff format and everything. I do think there will be an opportunity in ways that there wasn't the, the club did a poor job of taking advantage of the opportunity they had last year in the summer to really make a signing that I think could have had an impact. They did a good job in terms of getting value for Mark Anthony Kay, who I think hadn't really worked out for the team, um, got assets that ultimately they wanted. And I think they were ready to make some other big move. And that didn't happen. I've heard rumblings. I, I don't even know what the names were, to be honest. So I think there's uh, there's obviously going to be a recalibration standpoint without Jack Price in the midfield as well long term and what does that solution look like is there a change in formation potentially excuse me does Ralph Prizzo get an elevated role or something else I think there's a, a valid question what happens in there and I think Robin Frazier should be allowed to sort that out and what that would look like um, I still think it's ultimately come down to can this team finish their chances and somebody else has to be elevated other than Diego Rubio if Darren Yappi can get 10 goals if Kevin Cabral can get a bunch of goals or if that player doesn't materialize by the summer, but they execute on a, you know, on a trade um, that ultimately or an acquisition that brings in somebody in the summer. I think they can get to the ninth seed. I do think this could be an opportunity with how much depth they have, particularly young depth to do something in open cup and your one honey Mukhtar, um, you know, hamstring away from, I think really having a chance to get out of the group in leagues cup. Just for quick reference, LAFC did get a victory at Commerce Park back in 2018 on a three nil victory on match day 32 
Uh, overall, between uh, they've played each other eight times in the regular season, five wins for LAFC, three wins for the <clears throat> Rapids, no ties. Thank you so, for that fact check, Chris. I forgot about that game. <clears throat> somebody's somebody's so going home. I think we all did. Points. I think we all did. Rapid, the Rapids community tries to forget 2018 because it involved a certain coach who somehow is now going to be in consideration for getting the national team job because he managed to get a win against an island minnow in CONCACAF. But, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if anybody wants that job right now, to be honest, but let's just go ahead and give it to Jim Curtin just because it's going to hurt the union. But uh <laughs> I, I honestly, so I, I think, I think he could be the most qualified, but I think, I think Jesse March would love a paycheck this summer. Amen. Folks, our opponent correspondent this week has been Matt Pollard. Please give a listen to the Burgundy Wave or Holding the High Line podcast. You can follow them at Rapids 96 podcast. You can check out all of his writing for Last Word on Sports at LWOS Matt Pollard or head on over to lastwordonsports.com. Thank you, Matt, so much for joining us, folks. We are going to take a quick break and be right back with the final segment of today's show. This is Nick Cajola, starting trumpet player for LAFC. And you are listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Do it for LA. All right. Thank you for being here on the other side of this break. And thank you again to our opponent correspondent. That was Matt Pollard for giving us that update about the Colorado Rapids. So, gentlemen, it is now time for us to go ahead and give our own predictions. How are you guys feeling going into the match this upcoming weekend against Colorado, Christian? I feel good. Danny's back and he'll be back no matter what. And I think he has a better XG than Kevin Cabral. So I feel good about it. I think it'll be a 3-1 victory if you're asking me for the score prediction. I love your score prediction. Us scoring three goals. I'm a big fan of that. I'm going to agree with you. Where I disagree with you is Colorado being able to score. We're talking about a team that went a couple hundred minutes before they got their first goal of the season. They're able to get... A little bit of magic from Cabral in the last game, but I do not see the Colorado Rapids being a team that's going to be able to score on this LAFC defense. They do have the home field advantage. I will give them that, but I just, unless we show up with a heavily rotated squad in preparation for CCL, something that we have not seen so far this season and something I highly doubt we'll see. I think once again, it's going to be the A team that go ahead and starts the game. And then once the win is securely looking to be in our hands then we go ahead and bring in the full rotation of substitutions i think this one's going three nil to the black and gold yeah i have to agree with you jonathan i think that colorado is definitely uh struggling right now to score and so i think that that is is not going to work well in their favor you know when you look at the month of march lafc had given up five goals you know, two against Portland, two against Alawense when they came to the bank, and then one this uh, last weekend against Dallas. Uh, and that was out of one, two, three, four, six matches, right? So it's, I don't see a team that's struggling to put goals in the back of the net is going to fare well against a team that has less than one goal per game average. I do think that it will be a little bit of a tighter scoreline, maybe a one nil, two nil type of thing, just the altitude. I think that that can can play a part in uh, the stamina of our boys and being able to run up and down the field. But all in all, I, I think that LAFC is going to be able to handily walk away with a win. You you go ahead and doubt our stamina all day long. But if Denny Boanga has already proved to us one thing, he could take a 13-hour flight, get off a plane, and score bangers. Doubt him at your own peril, sir. I believe in Boanga. No, I, you know what? Honestly, when you look at 
how this midfield has bolstered its attack too. It, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if it was a four nil victory, but I'm just saying based on the atmosphere and the altitude. The only way we don't score three goals in this game is if we continue to have some wild misses from shots we should be putting away. I hope, you know, Sifu and Palacios are inspired to get off the airplane in a similar manner and contribute in the way that Denny just did as well. Well, gentlemen, I think that's all of us pretty determined that we will have a resounding win in Colorado, which of course means this is going to be a trap game and we're going to lose one nothing to a team that we should handle and uh, everything that could possibly go against us will, right? That's typically how these predictions work out. When we unanimously believe we're going to steamroll somebody, that's typically where we trip and fall on our faces. But this is a different LAFC team this year, and I have faith. Chris, before we call it a show, why don't you prep us a little bit on what's going on in the world of LAFC 2, my friend? Absolutely. So for all of you black and gold faithful that just can't get yourself enough of the black and gold community, especially because this is an away game and we're not going to be seeing very many of our friends, by all means, please make your way down to Fullerton, California, at Titan Stadium to see LAFC 2 play this Sunday at 7 p.m. It definitely is an atmosphere where you can bring your kids, your young ones. They can run around and have a good time. And uh, this is going to be a lot of fun, right? Like these LAFC matches are so social events, right? Like it's so much fun to see our friends and to get together. And, you know, I think that especially on weekends like this where LAFC are going to be away, but LAFC 2 are going to be home. This is an opportunity for everybody to come out and see some of the players that are are eventually going to one day, hopefully, break through into the LAFC squad itself. And so, you know, come out. It's a really good time. A lot of fun. Very casual vibe. And so be there at 7 p.m. on Sunday. Like we talked about at the top of the show, it's a great intimate experience. You get a chance to rub elbows with some of the black and gold elite while you're there. It's really a great experience. I could not speak more highly of my experience last weekend, but of course we we talked about this already. But just to reiterate those sentiments, it was a great time and would love to see more of you come on out to the game this Sunday at the Titan Stadium down in Fullerton. Bit of a drive for me coming all the way from the Valley. But to all of you Orange County and Inland Empire or, or South LA County black and gold fans, what a perfect opportunity for five bucks to get in and, you know, free parking, you know, inexpensive concessions uh, and a chance to, you know, maybe you could be sitting in front of Ilya Sanchez uh, when uh, you're taking in your next game. Um, quite a star studded cast of people we had in the audience this past weekend, like we talked about. Just before we wrap up the show here real quick, did want to say that this Thursday I will be doing my first ever play-by-play calling of an MASL game. That's right. Philly and I are swapping roles for the last game of the regular season. So if you want to tune in to MASL on Twitch, it is free to watch. You can check out the Empire Strikers taking on the Tacoma Stars, which uh, has some outdoor connections to it. Nick Pereira, star for the Tacoma Stars, was the general manager for the OL Reign in the NWSL for a while great individual but i will be doing play-by-play for the first time and thank you to philly for letting me take the mic for the last game of the season as we head into the playoffs would love to see some positive friendly conversation happening in the chat in that game for the first time all season anyway uh gentlemen that about wraps us up for episode 151 we would like to thank the legend 
Vince LaRosa for joining us as our guest this week. Please give him a follow at Vince LaRose. And of course, to our opponent correspondent, Matt Pollard, who joins us from Last Word on Soccer. We appreciate him showing up as well, too. That has been all of us on behalf of Chris Christian, myself, Jonathan, and the legend sound engineer, Wilton. Thank you so much for listening to episode 151 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Take us home, Sticks. Shoulder to shoulder, together this our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay flying that FC dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's, Koreatown Liddy. Cape us old mommy, about to drop her fifth. They want me to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.